I, uh, I want to tell you uh, something as a way of connection to last Sunday. So um, I'm, I'm last, last week we left off with more than a few of us uh, thinking about barriers in our lives to, uh, to they get in the way really of, of reaching people with the gospel. Um, barriers, we describe them, these obstacles, um, we don't even intend them sometimes, but they happen where we, we find that they uh, prevent us from letting God reach through us to those around us and share the good news of who He is. What good news is that? Well, we talked about it in detail last week. We do most weeks here. Uh, that forgiveness of sin and salvation, here's the deal, are available to all through Jesus. Isn't that good? That's an amen moment. It's not an exclusive thing. It's a, it's a God that says, I love the world, the whole world, all the people. Um, and I love them enough to send my son to give his life to make it possible for them to know me. So that's the gospel, but there, there is this temptation and tendency in us to sort of limit who we will take that news to. Uh, we've got our reasons. Hopefully last week did much to expose some of those reasons. I confess some of my own. Um, there are certain people I'm happy to tell about Jesus. And there's some people it's as though I were saying, find him yourself, you know, I don't know. I, I, a, guy, a guy came down our street yesterday. It's a quiet street. And for whatever reason, he decides he's going to show the world what a hot car he's got. And he lights it up. And there's like 100 kids on the street. And he lights it. He, he did a burnout, we used to call it. And I, I, in my heart, my first instinct was to go after him. And then find where he pulls his car into his garage. And then back my truck up on his front lawn and do the same thing <laughs> for a half hour <laughs> and just go, brother, you might want to get this reseated. <laughs> you know, I just, I'm sorry, but that, you know, if that makes you go, man, what a pastor. I don't know, but <laughs> that's, that's my honest truth. Okay, so back to a holy moment here. Um, so I want to tell you something about the years and actually centuries before Jesus came to earth, uh, a deeply entrenched belief had taken root. This is before Jesus came to earth, was born in Bethlehem. You know the story. Uh, in ancient Judaism, there was this view, this entrenched belief that, you ready for it? Salvation was for the Jews only. Now think about that. This despite the plain meaning, there's a, there's a hermit, hermeneutic, um, hum, uh, uh, that's fancy for Bible study law. In other words, ones uh, consider the context, things like that. Well, this one is um, a, uh, a principle of plain meaning. If you come to a passage and you're, you're scratching your head bald and not sure what it means, it's likely the first meaning, the plain meaning, is the intended meaning. Not always. And if you're still in doubt, call, call me. Let's talk about it. We can piece it together. 
But the plain meaning of these words in Genesis 12, so you have to go all the way back, but just listen, they're in your notes today. Uh, words that God spoke to Abram way back then were these. I will make you into, listen for the plain meaning, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. He's talking to Abram. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And he concludes with these words. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That preposition through is in there. You. Here's how one insightful theologian described the birth of this bad belief that actually grew out of that statement. When God chose Abram, God was establishing the nation of Israel. Not because they were greater, more righteous, or more deserving, but as an act of his grace. By his sovereign choice, God had decided to make the Hebrew people his instrument, ready, in bringing the world into a relationship with himself. If you skip from Genesis 12, some of you are writing this down as I say it, to Genesis 17, you're going to notice not once but twice a name change. It's in chapter 17. Verses 5 and 11 give strong hints in this name change, two of them, of God's purpose for all people to, the, to, to, to uh, well, you, you detect the purpose. Abram means exalted father. In chapter 17, Abraham was his new name given by God, and it means father of the multitudes. Do you see the flow? You're a, you're, a, you're a high father in chapter 12, Abram. But I'm changing your name to you're going to be the father of multitudes. He's not done. That's verse 5. Then verse 15, he comes to Sarah, okay? And Sarai was her first name back in chapter 12, which is beautiful. It's my princess, Sarai. And then in chapter 17, he changes her name to Sarah, meaning mother of multitudes. Are you hearing it? I've selected you. I've chosen you. You're my princess. You're my, you're my high father. But I've switched. I've I've. I've unfolded the further purpose I have for your life. And the Apostle Paul would confirm all that in Galatians in the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 29, where he said, all people who belong to Christ, he says, Jews and Gentiles are Abraham's offspring, heirs by promise. Can I get an amen? That's the cool news here. That's the gospel. And Moses wouldn't leave it lie. He, he brings clarity to why God chose Israel. I'm quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 7. By the way, Deuteronomy 
If you're going with uh, an understanding of the Pentateuch, the five first books of the law in the Old Testament, Genesis, help me, Exodus, okay, Deuteronomy chapter 7 is the entire book of Deuteronomy is um, spoken and then written while Israel stood after 40 years on the eastern shore of the Jordan looking west, about to enter into, what was the land called? The promised land, okay? So the entire book of Deuteronomy, second law, it's all going down right there in about a month, as I understand it. So it's a quick deal. But Moses wants us to get it, wanted the people of God to get it, that this this nation status, this chosen People status has implications. Listen for them as I quote this. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8. For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people. He, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. End quote. Think of the word chosen people. I want you to think of it right now about yourself. Chosen people. Pretty special feeling, isn't it, if you were to hear that with a finger pointed at you? Chosen people, right? Would you agree? That, that's like, me? What? You pick me? This is great. But if we don't hear God's words to Abram clearly, back in Genesis 12, that all peoples of the earth will be blessed the preposition, through you, my chosen people. It's easy to see how chosen people, that label, could actually lead to a spirit of pride, right? Rather than privilege. Those are two very different things. And that's the same pride that the Holy Spirit confronts in Peter through a vision we talked in deep detail about last week in Acts chapter 10, as you're turning there. Um, it was a vision, and with the vision came a voice that challenged his view of Gentiles. Let me just give him the label that we embraced last week, off-limits people. Okay? God sent a vision and spoke with a voice to Peter to say, we got to talk about Oh, the human race, the Gentile people, the ones you call off limits. It's getting personal again, I know. It's what you've been thinking about this week about barriers. I had you think about who's the off limits people in your life. So, um, and by the way, if you missed last week, there's a tension always as a pastor because you're preaching in series and we're going through Acts 29. Anybody catch me? How many chapters are there? 
28. We are Acts 29, y'all. Okay? All right? So, so, but the tension is this. You want to go back and preach last Sunday, but we got to keep sailing along, which we'll do right now. We're doing right now. So, um, if, if you missed last week, it's really foundational to today. So, I would direct you to the Grace Point Church uh, YouTube channel. And just go there and look up the one. It's got a, like a big looking eagle on it, each of the sermons in this series. And look it up. From last week, the title was Barriers. Just look for Barriers. And you can take it in, and this will even make more uh, personal meaning for you. So today we'll learn how Peter, who was a Jewish Jesus lover, would, would you write that down? That's, something, that's an image I want you to embrace and understand who was willing to have his bias not only challenged but changed, overcoming a big barrier that changed, people, look at me right now, that changed my life, my life. As you uh, look on at Acts chapter 10, let me tell you how my life's changed. Um, because Peter responded to the Holy Spirit who prompted him to go with the gospel to meet a Gentile 30 miles north whom he had never met. Peter is a Jewish, Jesus-loving Jew. Was told by this vision and voice I want you to go north, and I want you to meet a man you've never met, and he's a Gentile, and he answers to the name Cornelius. Um, and so uh, that makes me Cornelius. And if you're a Gentile, how many of you are non-Jewish in our gathering today? If you're a Gentile, then, who loves Jesus and in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. You have a new name today. You too are Cornelius. In fact, every non-Jewish Jesus lover, since where we're going to read today in Acts 10, every single one can say the same. I am Cornelius. So we pick up where we left off last week in verse 23. Peter was invited to go north with the men that had come from Caesarea. And he had them bed down for the night and be his guest. Early the next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the believers <coughs> excuse me, from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends friends. Now, um, I want you to take in some of these details because they're really important as we read them. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I, I'm, I'm, I'm only a man myself. It's a little stir in that moment that you can't miss. So Cornelius knew let me stop and just make this observation. He knew that someone of significance was coming into the city and more specifically into his home. 
He knew that. And so he, in anticipation of that, invited his, of course, his family and his friends to gather in his home. And in the moment Peter shows up, he falls down to the ground and presumably bows in great homage and humility. And he shows enormous respect and honor. Possibly too much, which explains verse 26. That Peter quickly corrects his view and he says to him, hey, stand up. I'm not the guy. But I know who is. You ever had that moment? I had that in a trauma center several years ago. I went to be with a family in our church that had suffered a great trauma in their family. And at this particular hospital, there are two family rooms very near the trauma end of this wing. And, um, and the family was gathered in, and friends for this one family in our church in one room, room A, and there was great grief and uh, shock and all that goes with trauma. And, um, and I was there just to hold them and be with them and help them and pray with them and all those things that you do in that moment, anybody does. And, and, and midway point in my visit with them, maybe 30 of them in there actually, was a great commotion from across the hall in room B, another trauma family room. And I mean, it was wailing. It was unbelievable sorrow and grief and just the stunning news that somehow they just received. And I just felt in that moment, not only was I, everybody was suddenly seized by it, but I, I thought I got to do something. I, I, I have no idea who those people are, or what they've gone through. I got to do something. So I just went across the hall. It's like the Holy Spirit said, just go be there, be me in there. And I did. And I walked in and the very first person I came to all of them total strangers, a big gathering of people sobbing in each other's arms. And this one lady, I, I came to the nearest one, I said, hi, I have no idea, I don't, I'm not part of your gathering, I have no idea what you're going through, and I have no idea how to help, but I, but I know somebody that can. And in that moment, I told her I'm a Jesus person. I love Jesus. And she, she collapsed in my arms. And suddenly there's, there's more movement in that room. And all I remember is the very next thing we're doing is she's calling out to everybody, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And take, we take hands, total stranger. I don't, couldn't tell you what I prayed. I just prayed my heart out. And God moved in that family. And, um, and it was one of these moments where Peter, he's like, no, I'm not the guy. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not him, but I know who he is. And that's what I did with that family. It's what you do with people that just need love in the moment. Chuck Swindoll gave me some great counsel uh, when I was leaving Fullerton in 1993 to come here to Grace Point. I've been here ever since. and He said these words, Steve, if you walk with God, and you love God's people, um, they will tend to put you on a pedestal. And uh, his counsel was this. Whenever that happens, get off it quickly. And give the worship to the one who's worthy of it, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Chuck has revealed that counsel more broadly in a book he wrote recently. And I'm quoting now his words. If God uses you significantly in a particular sphere of influence, it's your responsibility to keep the eyes of the people on the Lord. Meanwhile, let them see the cracks in your life. I'm a cracking, right? I get it. Okay. <laughs> That's easy for me to do, right? Then he adds this. Be like the kids who built a summertime clubhouse in the backyard and established three rules of conduct. Number one, nobody act big. Number two, nobody act small. Number three, everybody act medium. <laughs> so Cornelius, back to the story here, his house um, now filled with friends and family, Peter quickly summarizes his takeaway from the vision he had a few days earlier. Let's pick up verse 27. While talking with him, Peter went inside, found a large gathering of people, and he said to them, you're all aware that it's against our law for a Jew, he's pointing to himself, to associate with or even visit a Gentile. He's pointing to them. But God has shown me that I should not call any one of you impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. So may I ask why you sent for me? He's very honest, don't you think? I just love that about this moment. No puffiness. He's just like, I... This, you know, he's, he's being candid about it. He says, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable in a Gentile city, much less the home of a Gentile. Folks, that's awkward, to say the least. And in many cases, that's offensive. However, he came willingly because God had, had sent him, had told him last week we talked, it's okay for you to go. That's why I came for you to go there. Cornelius then explains how an angel appeared to him um, three days ago, verse 30. I was in my house praying at this very hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. It was an angel and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's, he's a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea down in Joppa. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now, we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. This is the third time it strikes me, not the first or second. Right here in verse um, 31, we see Right now, we just read it. Third time that Cornelius is called a good man. Did you catch that? Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembers your gifts to the poor. So God's paying attention to what you're saying, Cornelius. But back up, just across the page to verse 22. Here's another time. We read about it last week. We've come here from Cornelius. These are the men that were sent by him south to Joppa. We've come here. From Cornelius the centurion. Who's he? He's a 
righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. I want you to see one more. Back up the page to verse 2 of chapter 10. We're just meeting Cornelius. This is where it all began. Cornelius is, he's, he and all his family were devout, God-fearing people. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So you get in this profile of who he is. He was a man of much virtue, Cornelius was. He was righteous. He was God-fearing. He was devout. He was, he was generous. And he was a praying man. But something was missing. He didn't have a personal relationship with God. Did you hear that? There was something missing. He was religious to the rafters. But missing something. Needing more. That's why I love Cornelius. There's a lot of people that are like him today. A lot of people relate to him. Religious people, respected people, devout, all this good deed people. Are you one of them? You, you, you've got game. But you're lacking something. You're lacking a connection to God through Jesus Christ, His Son. Is that you? There's no one slapping you around right now. There's, there's lots of praise coming your way. You're a moral man or woman. You're decent. There's whole religions filled with decent. But they don't know God. Is that you? There was a song in 1977 from a good friend of my wife's uh, back in the East Coast. Scott Wesley Brown's his name. And he wrote this song called, I'm Not Religious, I Just Love the Lord. Uh, Spotify it. I, I, it's there. It's, it's really good. If you haven't embraced Jesus like Cornelius had not, what keeps you from doing so right now? That's my hope before we're done here today. So, Let's go back to the story. Next, Peter confirms that the Bible teaches uh, what the Bible teaches and what he had just learned with God, that there are no favorites. Look at verse 34 and you'll see it. I mean, he, it's his first words out of his mouth in answer to Cornelius' question. So talk, bro. What do you got to say? We're, we're, we're all ears. So verse 34, when Peter began to speak, I now realize, he begins, how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. As Moses put it, listen to this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, verse 17 of Deuteronomy 10 concludes, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. In other words, why would bribes be in that sentence? Who hasn't thought, I could buy God off? 
I could. I could swing a deal with God. You want it in cash? How do you want it, God? Because I'll do whatever to get on your good side, to be in the favorable column. And Deuteronomy 10, 17 says there is no favoritism with God. (laughs) I have to tell you, I chuckled when I read those words because I've actually said that to all three of my children along the way. I say, you know what? I just want you to know you're my favorite. You really are. You're my favorite. And, And the truth is God does the same thing. Jew, Gentile, you're my favorites. You hearing it? So having overcome his biggest barrier that really existed in the day, and that was the, the Jew-Gentile hostility, Peter now takes to sharing the good news with Cornelius and, and companies. See if you don't sense he just like says it like you mean it. I mean, he just comes out and Let's it fly. So verse 36, let's just read his words. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We even saw that they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. You can talk all you want about an empty tomb and about Jesus raising from the dead, But when you get eyes on him and go, whoa, wait a sec. I was here yesterday, three days ago, and you're here to, what? Verse 41, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. All the prophets testified about him that everyone who believes in him. I just love the sweeping words being described here. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Whoa. Saying it like it is. It's a message spoken by God sent to the Jewish people that peace with God comes only through Jesus Christ but is offered to all. As Paul would later say in Romans 5, 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter then just gives this synopsis in what we just read of significant events that are all captured in the Gospels. 
Uh, we've done a year-long journey with Jesus. You can look that up and, and go to our YouTube channel and just journey with that. I have friends that do that. They're going, man, that was a great message. I just didn't think of God in those terms. And I'm like, and then they, I find out they're talking about something that's like a year old. It just touched me. It was like, Lord, you're using your word to touch people's lives. The worship, it's all right there. You can go there. But he, he's talking about that, that God had anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit to, to do things like helping people and, and healing people. And uh, my favorite of all, delivering people from the power of the devil. I'm sick of him. And Jesus says, I'll do more than that. <laughs> right? Jesus, I'm going to give you the backhand real quick here. I mean, and, and then the biggest of all, Peter, he stopped right there. You would expect him in a speech. I'm an eyewitness. And guess what? He brings up the most witnessable event that you would never get over. The biggest thing of all, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. You don't stop talking about that. And I can't either. Then Peter states something. I, want, I don't want you to, it's, it's sobering. He states something that he was an eyewitness to. Um, and it's, a, it's what um, is, a, is a dual destiny that comes from what you do with what you hear. Dual destiny. Verse 38 is the first. Or, uh, excuse me, verse 42. Probably didn't sound good. Verse 42. <clears throat> Would you look at it again? He commanded us to preach to the people to testify that he's the one whom God appointed as judge. One of the possible destinies, depending on what you do with Jesus, is judgment. For all who reject Jesus, judgment. There's no exception. There's no give me a mulligan on, on judgment day. Are you hearing that? Don't miss verse 43. It's the other destiny. All the prophets talked about it, everyone else. If you believe in Jesus, forgiveness for all your sins. Forgiveness. Two very different destinies. Which is true for you? Have you believed in Jesus and received forgiveness and eternal life? I have. Many of you have. Many of you watching have. But I don't believe for a minute everybody hearing these words has. Or else what explains that I'm crazy pumped? That means Holy Spirit filled to go for it. Right? He's got to say it. Right? I want nobody who's ever listened to a message of mine to go, well, you know, I guess I rejected Jesus and I settled for judgment. For real? 
You had a chance to accept Jesus, embrace him, bow before him, repent of your sins, turn your heart over to him, and not only be forgiven, but spend eternity with him. Why wouldn't you want that? Tell people, if it upsets them, so what? That pales in comparison to the day they will stand in judgment, having rejected Jesus. So we got to do it. You know, I used to pray. I, we got time. I'm sorry. Please apologize to Becky on her first day back there with the kids. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I used to pray that God would make people's Christian lives better. I used to pray for, you know, uh, sermons about get over your anger. Um, from a guy that sounds angry right now, right? Okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. Do you know what? I used to pray about all those things. Do they, do they matter? Yeah. Do they matter as much as this? No chance. No chance. Read Jude again today if you want a, a picture of it. You remember, you remember the expression, uh, saved by the skin of your teeth? It's in Jude. That's where it came from. Did, did you know that? I'm making it up right now, but it's good. It's good. <laughs> Look, Ma, no socks. Okay, so it's so hot in here. Uh, I know you're not hot right now, right? I am. Okay, that's good. So, it's, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I, um, I want people to know how to know Jesus. That's the thing I pray about. And, and Jude says, save some hating even the garment that they wore that's been polluted by their dirty deeds, their flesh. In other words, they don't bring anything to heaven. They get in by the skin of their teeth. Truth be told, no one gets to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Um, John 3, we all know verse 16. Verse 36 summarizes this little sermon of Peter's and mine. Same chapter, John 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son, that's verse 36 at the end of John chapter 3. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on them. You talk to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, know this in your soul, God's not happy with them. Sorry if that steps on toes. It's the truth. Ah. I, I, I just tell you, there's all kinds of moments that pastors relate to, and my favorite in this whole thing is verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words. That means he's in his middle of his presentation. He's not done yet, right? That's been me about, oh, you know, 30 years or so. Um, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit said, I got it. And he, <laughs> I got it, Pete. And he comes on all who hear this message. The circumcised believers, those are Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished at this moment. They're like, What? That they had, that these people, the Gentiles, Cornelius and company, that they had the gift of the Holy Spirit and it had been poured out on them 
as the Jews had had it back in Acts chapter 2. Remember Pentecost? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of these people being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just like the rest of us. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and they partied on the rest of the day, right? Amen, amen, amen. You guys, hey, you know what? We, we all know about the thief on the cross. We know, we do, right? There's two guys. One was a, one, they were both convicted, condemned, kill, uh, 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 capital criminals. Going to die. They're hanging from a cross, just like Jesus in the middle. And one of them just, just dissed Jesus. Cursed man. The other one, we know kind of what he said. He says, you know something, Jesus, I, I, I belong here. I'm getting what I deserved. But you don't. So I just got to throw something at you. I just got to ask, see if it sticks. I don't know what he thought. I just got to ask, would you remember me when the lights go out here today? Would you just like remember me? I know I don't deserve it, but I believe in you. Save me. We know that story, don't we? Raise your hand. You know that story? Do you, have you ever gone to heaven in your imagination and imagined the look on his face? I don't know if it's Star Trek or some sci-fi thing where all of a sudden somebody appears in a different place. I picture the thief going, (laughs) it worked. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) And it still works. It still works. May God bless his word in our souls and in the souls of other Gentile Cornelius people that we need to talk to about these beautiful truths of God. Amen. I'd like you to bow your heads as the worship team resets. We're going we're gonna to have communion together because it's all about Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a wonderful, beautiful song as servers join me here at the front. The song is called Before the Throne of God Above. By Shane and Shane, I love this version. It's very similar to the original hymn. It's just so beautiful. It's so meaningful. Jews and Gentiles, sinners of all stripes are welcome. Are you hearing me? Don't get lost in the movement up here. Jews and Gentiles, sinners of every spot and wrinkle, are welcome before the throne of God because of Jesus. And as amazing as that sounds, it's it's really true. Ask Cornelius. Ask the thief. Ask me. So when we sing the chorus as communion will be passed out in a moment, I I want you to hear these words. You, I, this is my favorite part. It's hallelujah. The word will repeat. Hallelujah. It's just a beautiful, put your voice in there. Because you know what hallelujah means. It's praise the Lord. It means in that moment, as you imagine yourself somehow welcomed into the presence of God. 
because of Jesus' sacrifice for you, that you'll say, along with saints far and wide, Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, slave and free, hallelujah. As we actually bow before the throne of God, let's sing together.